You know, soon after I had um, given my life to Christ, I visited my hometown, uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I'd grown up, and visited my family. And I wanted to share not only with them, but with some old friends of mine, what God had done in my life. That he'd changed me, that he'd freed me from addiction, that he'd delivered me. And I'll never forget one of the first responses I got from one of my old friends that wasn't a believer. I sat down and I was explaining what God had done in my life. And she looked at me and she'd been a longtime friend. She looked at me and she goes, wait, 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 wait. You're not telling me you're one of those born again Christians, are you? And I looked at her and I go, as a matter of fact, that's exactly what I'm telling you. And what we're talking about today uh, is something that Christ commanded every single believer to do, something that Jesus himself even modeled for us. And it's an outward symbol, it's an outward sign of an inner reality that has already taken place in our lives. And that reality is that we have been, as followers of Jesus, as people that have trusted in Christ for salvation, we have been born again. We have been made new. And baptism is a symbol of that reality. And so today we're going to talk about the miracle of baptism. And we're going to talk about the substance of baptism, the significance of baptism, and the sacrament of baptism. Let's talk about the substance of it. You know, what's interesting is that throughout church history, there have been a variety of perspectives on what baptism is and why it matters. And on one hand, there are those that would say that the scriptures that back up their particular perspective, they would say that baptism actually is necessary for salvation or that it's at least necessary for the forgiveness of sins. And they would quote Acts 2.38 where it says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Or 1 Peter chapter 3, 21. It says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, you're not just taking a bath, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when you read those verses, that seems pretty straightforward. But also throughout the history of the church, on the other hand, there are those within Christendom that would argue that based on all of the scriptures, the whole host of scriptures that affirm that salvation is by faith and faith alone in what Christ has accomplished, that baptism is not necessary for salvation. And we here at Grace Chapel would fall into that camp. In Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, Romans 3, chapters 3 through 5, all three of those chapters, you know, the scriptures that talk about confess with their mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you shall be saved. So the whole host of scriptures that talk about the reality that we are saved, we receive salvation, we receive this new birth by faith and faith alone, it tells us that baptism isn't necessary for salvation. Now, There is a danger in this camp. There is a danger that in all of our emphasis on baptism not being necessary for salvation, there is a danger in us making that point over and over again and so emphatically that we unintentionally undermine and devalue the significance of what baptism actually means. 
of what it actually is. That we're so focused on what it's not that we forget about what it actually is. And what we see in scripture is that the sacrament of baptism is an extremely profound and crucial act of obedience for every single follower of Jesus, period. It is a crucial act of obedience that has significant meaning. Now, the original word for baptism is the word baptizo, which literally means to be fully immersed, to go under. And if you were, maybe you grew up in a Catholic tradition or uh, maybe Anglican or Lutheran and you were sprinkled as a baby, and that would, we would say that was more like a baby dedication than it was a, an actual baptism. And as Pastor Myron puts it, if that's your experience with baptism, you didn't get baptized, you just got wet. <clears throat> so when you reach an age where you have an understanding of what Christ has done for you, rescued you from sin, offered you salvation by faith, and you've received that salvation, it is time to be baptized. And what we see in scripture is almost immediately after someone confesses faith in Christ, almost immediately they're baptized in that moment. It's an act of obedience to Christ. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, therefore, go therefore and make disciples of all nations doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is a quick story to share with you guys. Uh, in our church plant early on in the Pacific Northwest, when we planted the church in 2012, just a few months after we had planted the church, we had our first baptism service. And we were meeting, I don't know if you guys are familiar with what this is, we were meeting in an Elks Lodge. So there was some interesting things present in the place where we were meeting as a church. You literally had to walk past two bars to get to the children's ministry. That was slightly concerning for some people. And in fact, one of our wonderful volunteers, this has nothing to do with the message, by the way, one of our wonderful volunteers uh, did not know what a beer tap was and came into service one Sunday. It was cold outside and she hung her coat on the beer tap. And throughout our entire Sunday service, a whole keg of Amberbach drained all over the floor. So I had to call the guy who runs the Elks Lodge as Pastor Rob, I need to reimburse you for your keg of beer. We drained it in our Sunday service. One of the many things they don't teach you in seminary. So in our baptism service, we're using a horse trough as a baptismal. We had 13 people signed up to be baptized. It was a huge Sunday, really like a big celebration. And one of the guys who gets in the tub to be baptized, really sweet man, he's 6'3", he's about 250 pounds. So I've got some concerns about how this guy is actually going to be immersed under the water. And so I'm getting ready, I'm looking, I'm going, man, you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay, here we go. There's 130 people in the room and I go to baptize him and it's like everything goes in slow motion. This look of sheer terror comes over his face and if you can imagine a, a cat desperately trying to stay out of a bathtub full of water, that's exactly what happened. 
So his arms stretch out. He grabs the side of the tub. His legs are flailing in the air. And I am trying to push this guy under. And I realize what this must look like. And I look up and there's 130 people going, ah! They're shielding their children's eyes like it's, it was bad. So come to find out that uh, he had a fear of going underwater and forgot to tell me that when we were talking about what baptism actually is. And so from that point forward, I decided that my first question whenever someone signs up to be baptized is not, have you trusted in Christ for salvation? It is, do you have any fears that you would like to tell me about? So all that to say, Jesus was baptized by immersion. He went fully under the water. Every baptism throughout scripture involves going fully, fully immersed, fully under water. And, and so that, that's what we do here at Grace Chapel. And you might ask the question, okay, Rebel, why is it that important? Why does that matter? What's the big deal about immersion? Now let's talk about the significance of baptism and what it symbolizes, what it means. In Romans chapter six, verses three through five, Paul writes this. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So it's talking about all of us who have been baptized. And what that is talking about is anyone that has placed their trust, their faith in Christ for salvation. That's every follower of Christ. And that word united, it's an interesting word. It's it's actually sort of a horticultural word. It means to be grafted. It means to be grafted in, meaning that our lives have been intimately and significantly connected with Christ in a spiritually significant way. And verse five tells us that not only have we been united with his life, we've been united specifically with his past and with his future. So we've been united with his past. The verse tells us that we were baptized into his death and buried with him. Colossians 3 tells us that we died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. So going underwater in baptism, as we go under, it symbolizes our our being grafted into Christ's death and burial. Follower of Christ, do you realize that you died? The fleshly you, that you have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live. Galatians 2.20. And what all of this is saying is that the old you, the you with sinful desires, the you with the lust of the flesh, selfish ambitions, the you that is all about you and demands that the world revolve around you, that that you has been killed. That you has been nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ and buried for good, dead, gone, forever. That's great news. 
And, and listen, Galatians 2.20, we just said it. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. I pray that this passage never becomes familiar or mundane to us. Because what this passage tells us is that the determining factor in our relationship with the author of life itself is no longer our past, but Christ's past. It's no longer our life, but Christ's life. The old you has died and the father delights in you and sees you as having all of the beauty, all of the greatness, all of the glory of his own son. You are united with his past. You're free from condemnation, but we're also united with his future. What does that mean? Romans 6, 5. It says, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. In Matthew 19, this is fascinating. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus talks about a day coming when the renewal of all things, of all creation will come about that the entire world will be generated, regenerated. Every wrong will be made right. Every injustice will be dealt with. Every sorrow will be turned to joy. Every tear will be wiped away. There is a renewal of all things coming. We're, we're going to be back in the way that the world was originally designed to be. I am so excited about that. Is anybody else with me? Now, what's incredible is Paul is saying here, that the minute you place your trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. This power that is going to regenerate the universe is the same power that takes up residence in you. And the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit begins to renew you, to regenerate you. This is what we call being born again. This is the new birth. You're literally a new creation. The same power that rose Christ from the dead lives in you, right? And, and this is astounding because when we come to Christ, I, I don't know about you guys, but when I came to Christ, like I wanted some freedom from addiction. Like I wanted a little bit of redirection in life. I wanted maybe just some purpose. I wanted, you know, th there was some level of, man, I'm, I'm, I'm down, I'm despondent, I'm like, I need God to just redirect me and reorient my life, which is, that, that was true. And that brought me to Christ. And many of us, when we come to Christ, we actually come, what are significant to us, but we actually come with the tiniest ambitions. We, we come with God, like we want God to do these little things in our lives. And it doesn't take long to realize that God wants to do a whole lot more than just that. And C.S. Lewis says this perfectly in Mere Christianity. He says, if we let him, God, he will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into dazzling, radiant, immortal creatures, pulsating all through with such energy, joy, wisdom, and love as we cannot now imagine. A bright stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though of course on a smaller scale, his own boundless power, delight, and goodness. The process will be long and in parts painful, but that is what we are in for, nothing less. The same power that's going to regenerate the entire universe lives in you, follower of Jesus. And see, baptism is the moment. Baptism is the moment where we drive a stake in the ground where we drive that stake in the ground and we're saying whatever has, be, has come before this moment, 
Whatever has existed in my life before this moment, the old things have gone, the new things have come. Christ is working all things out for my good because I'm called according to his purpose, because I love him. See, it's a stake in the ground saying, the old is gone, the new has come. And this is exactly what 2 Corinthians chapter five says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Say new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The new has come. In fact, right now, anybody that is planning on being baptized in this service, we're going to go ahead and dismiss you and you can go and get ready for the celebration of baptism, the sacrament of baptism. And uh, you can head right through those doors over there and we are, we're going to take good care of you. We're going to get ready. And the rest of us, we're going to move on to our third and final point in the message, the sacrament of baptism, the sacrament of baptism. What's fascinating about baptism is that it's not only an act of obedience to Christ. It's not just that. And it's not just a significant symbol of what has taken place in the life of a believer. And I actually want to to look at this with you, what happens at Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter three. What we see is that when Jesus was baptized, this is the scripture, Matthew 3, 16 through 17. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And what's so amazing about this moment in Jesus' life is that after years of silence in Nazareth, Jesus appears and wants to be baptized by his cousin John. Now, John was baptizing people into a baptism of repentance from sin. And Jesus walks up and says, John, I want you to baptize me. And John objects. John says, you don't need to be baptized. John knows who he is. In fact, when John sees Jesus, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John knew who Jesus was. He knew that he was the sinless son of God. And so why then was Jesus baptized? Well, there are multiple reasons, but the primary one I want us to see is the reason why we call baptism a sacrament. I want you to think of a sacrament like a wedding ceremony. It's a moment that publicly acknowledges that from here on out, things are different. That from here on out, things are going to change. They're not gonna be the way they were before. There is a death to what was, and there is a birth to what will be. It's a milestone moment, like a bar mitzvah, or a rites of passage, or a graduation. It's a communal acknowledgement that something is changing. And ultimately, it's an agreement that a significant event has taken place in a person's life, and we're all in agreement about what that event is. We're all together in what that, what that means and what, what that is. And it's an acknowledgement that things are going to be different. So the question then is, what is different for Jesus in this moment? Well, this is what's different. Jesus' baptism marked the beginning of his earthly ministry. Everything that Jesus did, every miracle that he performed, every life that he touched, 
every confrontation he had with the Pharisees, everything from that moment on leading up to his crucifixion, burial, resurrection, and ascension, the, the baptism of Jesus Christ marked the beginning of his earthly ministry. But look what happened in the ceremony, in the sacred moment in Jesus' life. When Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit descends on him, the Father speaks over him, and Jesus receives it. And there is an undeniable picture of the Trinity in Jesus' baptism. The Spirit descends, the Father speaks, the Son receives. There is an undeniable, undeniable picture of the Trinity. And what does that tell us? It tells us that in the sacrament of baptism, when we are raised up out of the water, we are welcomed into the community of the Trinity. That we are welcomed into the, the eternal, self-giving, other-affirming, completely loving community of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're welcoming us into the community. God welcomes us into that community. But not only that. See, what the Father, church, this is so important. What the Father speaks over Jesus in that moment is radically important. And it's what every heart in this room longs to hear. It's what every single one of us need to hear from God before we try to do anything significant for God. See, Jesus, before he lifted a finger to do ministry work in first century Jerusalem, before he lifted a finger to do any miracle, before he did anything, he first heard from his Father in heaven that you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. See, what we need to realize, church, if you don't hear those words spoken over you by Jesus, by your Father in heaven, if you don't hear those words spoken over your life, your striving, your effort, your religious adherence, your obedience is not based on grace, it's based on guilt. Because everything you do, if you don't first receive the pleasure of your Father in heaven, every single thing you do is you trying to prove that you are worthy of his love. See, Jesus is modeling something so significant for every single one of us. Because what he's showing us is that before you do anything significant for God, you must first receive the pleasure of God. Before you do anything for God, you first have to know, you have to hear from your Father in heaven that you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. You are my treasured child in whom I am well pleased. Before you do anything for me, I want you to know that your value has nothing to do with what you do, but with who I've made you to be. That you are made in the image of God. See, that's good news. And in the sacrament of baptism, when we are baptized, this is what we hear from our Father in heaven. You're my beloved son. You're my child. And I love you with every fiber of my being, everything I have in me, with all of the power of eternity. I love you. Welcome home. See, this is the starting point. This is the new beginning. This is the invitation of the sacrament of baptism. 
And when you go under that water, your old life is washed away, buried, gone for good, and your new life has begun. See, church, baptism is the ceremony. It's that rite of passage. It's that moment of recognition from the community that you're a part of, where we drive a stake in the ground and openly declare that my old life has been washed away. I've been made new. I've been reborn. The new has come. I know where I've come from. I know where I've been. But by God's grace, I know where I'm going. I've got my eyes set on Christ. Christ and Christ alone is the sole aim of everything that I am and everything that I have. That's what baptism symbolizes. That's the significance of it. And so in a moment, you're gonna witness and be caught up in a celebration of people who are driving that stake in the ground. You're gonna witness and and be caught up in the celebration of individuals who've experienced the miracle of salvation that are publicly declaring that they too have been raised with Christ, born again into newness of life. Baptism, as we've said, is an outward symbol of an inner reality. It it symbolizes Galatians 2.20. We've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer us who live, but Christ who lives in me. It symbolizes Ephesians 2, where he, God, has raised us up together with him from death. It symbolizes Colossians 2.12, for when you were baptized, you were buried with Christ, and in baptism, you were also raised with Christ. And it symbolizes the fact that you have become a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have been made new.